This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Close. Thanks for joining me for another hour of old-time radio crime. Our first mystery this week is from The Thin Man. We'll hear the adventure of the haunted hams. His story from July 13, 1948. After that, it's The Fat Man. And murder plays hide-and-seek. That episode aired January 2, 1948. Nikki, darling, that's not it. It isn't, Nora? No, it goes like this. Thirty-three fine brews blended into one great beer. Pamp's Blue Ribbon Beer presents The New Adventures of the Thin Man with Nick and Nora Charles, the happiest, merriest married couple in radio. Tonight and every Tuesday night at this same time, that international favorite Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer proudly presents the finest in summertime entertainment. So, sit back, relax, and pour yourself a tall, foaming glass full of blended, splendid Pabst Blue Ribbon. While you listen to the stars of our show, Claudia Morgan as Nora and Les Tremaine as Nick, in tonight's adventure of The Thin Man entitled The Haunted Hams. Every once in a while, a man's wife gets the idea that her husband needs a change. Of course, the conscientious little homemaker never suggests that her husband change his wife. Well, this evening, we find the great ex-detective, Nick Charles, in a car with his lovely wife, Nora, and his good friend, Ebenezer Williams, driving through the countryside. Nicky, look at that moon come up over those trees. Can you see anything as beautiful as that in the city? Yes. Oh, name it. The moon over the polo grounds as the Giants and the Dodgers play a night game. That just shows how badly you needed this change, doesn't it, Ed? Yes, I reckon so. You've been working too hard, Nick. Me? Working? Yes. You've got to get your nose out of that grindstone. Ed, you, my partner, can say a thing like that? Yeah. I just get my nose out of the grindstone, too. That grindstone's becoming crowded with noses. Nora, the only thing we've had our noses in were comic books and detective stories. That's right. Detective stories, comical books, comical books, detective stories. We was in a rut. And you think we'll get out of it by going up to your farm, Ed? Why, of course. It's about time we changed ruts. <laughs> Ed. Huh? Ed, listen, there's a fire engine coming up behind you. Oh, better pull up. I used to be a volunteer fireman around here in the days when I was sheriff. Here comes the engine, Ed. Yeah. Well, say, that's my old friend, Newt, the fire chief. Ed, he's stopping. Yeah. Howdy, Newt. Howdy, Ed. I thought that was you driving the car, and I stopped just to make sure. That's you, all right. There can be nobody else. Well, I'm awful glad to see you back, Ed. Well, I'm glad to be back, Newt. Oh, this is my friend, Nick and Nori Charles. Howdy, folks. It's nice to know you. Are you going to or coming from a fire, Mr. Newton? Uh, going to, of course. Say, Eb, did you hear that Shad Simmons had a calf with two heads last April? Uh, what do you know? Yes, but even with two heads, he ain't no smarter than one with one. Is this a serious fire you're going to, Newt? 
Well, I can't tell I get there, my friend. Say, Eb, uh, did you hear about Methuselah Marbrain? Don't tell me that he finally married Belle May Bogardus. Well, they set the wedding for September, but they postponed it. Again? Yeah, oh dear. After him being engaged to her for 15 years? Well, they had a good reason, eh? Figured they'd wait till they was better acquainted. <laughs> Didn't want to be hasty. No. Marry in haste, repent. And lose, uh, yes. Who's why are you going to, Newt? Well, I'm awful glad you remind me of that, Ab, now. Silas Salem's, he's got a fire tonight. Uh, would you like to come along and help? Well, yes, I reckon so. Well, uh, just let me get there first. That's all I request. It makes a better impression on the taxpayers. Well, it was a pleasant chat, Eb. I'll see you at the fire. Yeah. I hope you fellas won't put it out before we get there, Newt. Oh, have no fear, Eb. We'll wait for you. All aboard, boys! Let on roar! Does he always dash to a blaze like that, eh? Newt... <laughs> Well, he ain't exactly speedy, but we elected him because he was the only one that can play the tuba in the fireman's band. Look, Nick, there's the fire. Yes, and it ain't Silas's house burning tall. It's just his old barn. Well, come on, Ed. Maybe we can rescue some of his livestock. Hurry up, Nora. I am, Nick, but you needn't be so anxious. Now, don't ruin my fun, baby. Ever since I retired from being a detective, I've been dying to rescue something, even if it's a cow. Hi, Ed. Oh, hi there, Ed. Uh, Howdy, folks. How's she burning, Newt? Well, burning pretty good for a barn, Ed. Have you got all the animals out of the barn yet? Oh, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. (laughs) Had some awful queer-looking animals in there, though. What kind? Well, what you might call the city kind. Dogs? Well, that depends on your point of view. I heard them saying they've been treated like dogs. Oh, well, they're people. That depends on your point of view, too. <laughs> they're actors. Uh, real honest, goodness, live actors. Where's Silas? Oh, he went back to farmhouse. He said he's got the barn insured, so there ain't nothing to worry about. He's been stabling them live actors because he... Says there's some kind of summer stock. Oh, you mean they're a summer stock company. Where is that fire chief? Where is he hiding? That must be he over there, Master. Uh, looking for me, Bob? I certainly am. I am the director and producer of this company. I am Grednoisky. Well, I'm Newt Newton. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Uh, uh, um, what'd you say your first name was? You couldn't pronounce it. Just call me Grednoisky. Listen, our teeth are burning. Our I'm very to... glad to meet you, Mr. G. This is my friend, Ed Williams. Hey, Mr. Mister G. G. Hello, Master Fire Chief. Aren't Mr. you going G. to... Mr. G., I'd like you to meet my friends here, Nick and Nori Charles. Now, how do you do? I'm doing terrible, thank you. Please, about that fire. Ain't you going to introduce us to your lady friend, Mr. G.? This is Myra Mannix, our ingenue. Now, please, Pleased to meet you, Miss Mannix. Cheers, greetings, salutations, and all that sort of rot. Oh, are you British? No, but we're putting on a jolly old British play, you know. Mr. Newton, old boy, aren't you going to do something about our theatre? It's getting a bit overheated, you know. Oh, what theatre? The barn. We made it into a theatre. It's burning. Aren't you going to do anything about the fire? Well, we're watching it, ain't we? Watching it? You're supposed to put it out! He's kind of excitable, ain't he, Ed? Yes, yes. Well, theatrical people, they got more nerves and voices than any other kind, you know. But the barn will burn to the ground! Don't you want to put it out? Why, of course not. Some of my boys might get hurt in a blaze like that. Besides, you can't put it out. Why not? Nature, my boy, nature. Too much fire and not enough water. 
But it sure looks awful pretty, don't it, Lickety? Pretty? I'm going wacky. What, 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 what? Well, excuse me, folks. I'd better see to my boys. They're getting awful close to that fire. Don't you think so, Eb? Yes, they might get a blister. Oh, dear. Say, now, look, Eb, you stay here for a little while. You can see none of them act of people interferes with the blaze. And if it begins to spread, you call me. Yeah, sure. You going back to town, Newt? Oh, yes, I think I should. There might be some other fires for us to look at. Well, Nick, he's leaving. Yes. Well, they sure look dashing in those firemen's uniforms. How does the siren sound? Great, great, Newt. Sounds just like an opera star. Oh, that's good. It's a brand new one. Oh, give him a gun, Willis. Nick Nori, that barn's practically burned to the ground now, so I reckon we can go. All right, Ed. But I wonder what poor Mr. Gnoisky and his actors are going to do without a theater. Ed, you have a nice big barn on your farm, haven't you? Yes, Ed, but don't say it so loud. Oh, it's too late. Here comes Gnoisky and his ingenue, and they've got an opening night gleam in their eyes. Don't depart, Mr. Williams. Wait a moment. Yeah, chums, we got great plans for you. Silas Salem says you've got a nice large barn. You great, big, mature Gary Cooper man, you. Oh, I'm only human. And such character in his face, like a writing Gregory Peck. Where do you keep your barn, and how much do you want for it? Well, I don't know, folks. No, I, I wouldn't consider renting it. Not unless my business partner here says I should. Oh? Ah, Nicky Wicky. Did anybody ever tell you you're gorgeous? Yes, my wife. Oh, that doesn't count. With me, it does. I can't make up my mind without her advice. Nora! Grudnoisky! You adore her! But, but, but I do. Would you like to be worshipped? I can make your star overnight. Well, I'm afraid we're not interested. You see, we came up here to get away from all the excitement and insanity of the city. Madame, wouldn't you like to be a great star? Uh, well, every woman would like to be a great actress, but uh, I'm different. Well, if you won't help us, won't you at least listen to our tale of woe? Tell me, have you ever heard of Floyd Fresnay? Fresnay? Hasn't he something to do with the movie? Why, yes, Nick. He's some sort of big-time agent. He is a movie mogul, and he is backing this company. We are supposed to develop new movie stars, and when he finds out that we have no bot, oh, Myra, weep at them to show them how unhappy we are. You mean no theater, no chance at Hollywood. That's right, Nora. Of course, I despise the coast and the cinema with its pots of gold and lack of artistic standards. But if Floyd Fresnay signs you up to go out there... I'd gladly murder my dear grandma to get there. Now, do you understand? We expect to see Floyd Fresnay any minute. He was going to come by for a dress rehearsal. Hey, look, Grudnoski. Isn't that Mr. Fresnay's car now? Yes. Myra, think of some brilliant excuse for this catastrophe. Well, shall I tell him that we worked with an ardor so burning that the barn caught fire? Hello there, F.F. Greetings, Rednoisky. I have a wonderful explanation why the barn burned down. You've heard of the Chicago fire, no doubt? Heard of it. I saw it. In Technicolor. Colossal. Well, the same thing happened to us. Who would dream that there is a distant relative to Mrs. O'Leary's car? Just a moment. No, no improvising. Everybody quiet. Who is she? Nora Charles. Come here, child. Uh, me? Yes. Bear your teeth. There. Do they bite? You want to find out? Uh, no. 
Then get your hands off my face. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh, I'm just feeling the bony structure. Hey, what do you think you're doing? Who is he? That has been. Get rid of him? Listen, Fresnay, who do you think you are? Uh, tell me, my man. Uh, does your wife have a figure as good as it looks? What? Well, you ought to know, does she? I certainly have. Kalnoyski, this woman has the most photogenic face and figure I've seen in 20 years. She's a new garble. I want to see her give a performance in two weeks. Two weeks, mind you. Find another barn. I'll pay all the bills. Adios. Uh, adios, FF. Nora, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah, and you'll be able to give us all a break. Well, really, uh... Think of it. Your name in life. Platinum swimming pool. Sable underwear. Do you think I'm a foolish, silly girl like all the other girls in the world? Yes. You're patriotic, aren't you? I certainly am. Then think of this. Your income taxes alone will make the government rich. Uh, Mr. Goodnight, I'd love to help you and your friends, but if you think I ever had any ambitions to be an actress, adored by the world, thrilling audiences, having my name and picture in the papers, just being too, too wonderful, you're absolutely right. Ev, how soon can we get the cattle out of your barn? You are listening to the new adventures of The Thin Man, presented for your summertime entertainment by the makers of that international favorite, Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer. Say, Mr. Orchestra Leader, would you mind blowing that little pitch pipe of yours? Thank you. Now, again, please. And again. That's right. No matter how many times you sound that same note, it's always exactly alike. Just as every bottle, every glass, every taste of Pabst Blue Ribbon beer is always exactly alike, no matter where or when you buy it. The reason for that fresh, clean, sparkling taste, that perfect uniformity, goes back to the little tune Nicky was strumming on the piano at the beginning of this program. Thirty-three fine brews blended into one great beer. Just think, every glass, every drop of Pabst Blue Ribbon beer contains never less than thirty-three fine brews. So be sure there's plenty of blended, splendid Pabst Blue Ribbon cooling in your refrigerator, ready to serve to those unexpected guests when they drop in on a summer evening. <laughs> And now for Act Two of tonight's Thin Man Adventure. Two weeks have passed since Nora was bitten by the acting bug, and we find her now studying her part in the play that the great Russian director, Grednorsky, and his actors are going to put on in Eb Williams' barn. But I do think you're terribly, irresistibly smushing, Lord Cornish Simpleberry. A gay laugh. You think that last heart was a trifle phony, Nick? I think the whole thing's phony. Oh, well, you're just saying that because Grednoisky only gave you a small part and I'm playing the lead. Nora, do you really want to become a movie star? Do you think I'd be acting this silly if I didn't? But, darling, despite Floyd Fresnay, you, you just can't be a star overnight. Grednoisky thinks I can, and he knows much more about it than you do, dear. And don't talk to me this way. You, you get me out of the mood. <clears throat> Uh, <laughs> oh, how's that? Sounds like a coloratura soprano gargling with Drano. 
Sneggy, how dare you say a thing like that to me? We're opening tonight. Now, 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 Nora, don't get temperamental again. Well, I've got to be temperamental. Every star's temperamental. And I'm furious with you. Give me something to smash. Here, here, here. I collected some old glasses that Eb doesn't need. He says they're good for smashing. Thank you. That's better. Now, <clears throat> but I do think you're terribly, irresistibly smushing, Lord Cornish. Simple, very, excuse me, gay laugh, I'll do it. Nicky, don't you want me to be a movie star? Well, darling, frankly, no. Why not? Why, I I hardly ever see you anymore. Oh, naturally, my career, you know. But, baby, you dragged me up here to take care of me. I'm being neglected. You know what happens to neglected wives. You're not a wife, you're a husband. Don't you know anything, Nicky? Well, you know what happens to neglected husbands. The same thing as happens to neglected wives. Oh, don't be silly, dear. (laughs) Will you stop that laughing, please? Nicky, behave yourself. I'll get temperamental again. Now, listen, baby, I don't think you should go on with this. I knew it. You're jealous because I've got a career. Okay. I'm jealous. Well, darling, I let you have a career as a detective for years, and now... You won't let me become a movie star. Is that fair? No, darling. Well, then why do you want me to give it up? Because, because... Don't you think I'm any good? Frankly? Frankly. Frankly, no. I said it, and I'm glad. Give me a glass, please, Mickey. Here, dear. Get rid of your disappointment. Hey, don't aim at my head. Nora, cut it out. I, I changed my mind. You're great. I knew you'd alter your opinion. Oh, uh, enter. I mean, I'm decent. Sorry, Nori. You're wanted on stage for rehearsal. And guess what? Hmm? One of the actors just quit, and Mr. G, he gave me a part, too. I'm going to be Duke Lucifoot Grenadier. Mr. G thinks I got a lot of plain, common, ordinary nobility. Mr. G is a genius at discovering talent. Yeah. And, Nick, if you think I'm no good... Just watch what happens at this dress rehearsal. <clears throat> but I do think you're terribly, irresistibly smushing, Lord Cornish. A simple, very gay laugh. <laughs> All right, Nora. We will take the big jealousy scene between you and Myra. Now remember... Nikolaus is your latest flame who doesn't burn hot enough. And Ebenezer is your philosophical advisor who hates you and loves you both together. Who said that? Nobody, Mr. G. That's just one of my ducks. I wish I were sure of that. It sounded like someone was whispering Russian insults in a loud voice. Hear that? I taught the duck to talk Russian. So that explains it. Come on, on with the scene. So... You dare enter my home, Penelope. Yes, Lady Chattelethorpe. To claim that which is rightfully me. Oh, my. Duke Lucyfoot Grenadier, you have never given me bad advice. What shall I do, my dear Duke? Ebenezer, do you have a cold? No, no, that's just my cow peeking in the door. Oh, he would make a wonderful actor. Beautiful voice. Proceed. Throw the little scamp out in the gutter. From whence she rose, my dear, dear Lady Chattel-Lethorpe. Lady Chattel-Lethorpe. Yes, Colonel Biscay Rendango. I can bear it no longer. 
Won't you call me Rumpy Dumpy as you did when we romped in the castle together in our childhood? I will never call you Rumpy Dumpy again. That is all part of our hideous past, Colonel Biscay Rendango. I deny that. To me, you will always be Princess Banegane, the golden-haired girl who taught me about life under the castle moat. Ah. What did you say, Gernoyski? Nothing. It was the ghost out there. Oh, that's funny. He sounded just like you. I have a more beautiful voice than that miserable ghost. Oh, yeah, Mr. G. Let me tell you, that's one of the finest goats in Crabtree County. Uh, now, I'll bet you can't make a noise as fine as that. I certainly can. The goat sounds better. Myra, are you turning against me too? Can I help it if the goat has a lovely vocal organ? Will you stop this? The curtain goes up in two hours, and I'm forced to talk to Nanny Goat. <laughs> Shut up! Speak! <clears throat> Lady Chattel Lefort. You are cruel beyond words. And I don't care what happens to me, even if I pay for this with my life. So there. Oh! No, no, no. That's no way to scream when you're shot. But I was trying to do it with a British accent. Hi, Krednoisky. We'll show you how to make screams with an English accent. Like this. Ah! You see? You must scream like a lady. Ah! No! Oh! 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 We fasten! That's better. That that was the rooster. Oh, you 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 think I'm terrible, don't you? You think I can't act as well as as, as that rooster? I I didn't say that. Well, you you're not much better than that nanny goat. Why do you let those animals come in here and upset me? Up? I, I hate you all. Nora, Nora, darling, come back here. Don't have to do more yourself. I'll eat you someday. Nora, darling, let me into your dressing room. Please, baby. I've got to talk to you. Nikki, hasn't she come out of there yet? No, Myra. I've been trying to get in ever since she ran out of the dress rehearsal, but she won't open the door. When's the curtain? In just a few minutes, and the people are coming in now. Floyd Fresnay is out there. Oh, the little scamp. Out into the gutter from whence she rose, dear. Dear lady, chattel the thought. Business. Hi, Nick. How's Nori? She still won't talk to me. Ed, if she won't let me see her, I won't be able to go on either. Well, me too. I can't go on with these nervous upsets. How can they expect me to give a performance? You got nerves, too? Yes, I have. I never had them till I become an actor, though. Oh, how can she face those people with no confidence in herself? And I help destroy her confidence. Nora? Nora, darling, open the door. Hey, look, she's turning the handle. The door's opening. Good evening, fellow players. If you wish to see me, enter. Nora, darling. I just want you to know, Nicholas, that despite your cruel and heartless discouragement, I shall give a performance that will make people's hair stand up. And no one will ever know that I'll be acting with an aching, breaking heart. You will, Nora? I will, Ebenezer. Oh, gee. You're a great trooper, Nora. Thank you, my little dear. And, Nicky, sit on that chair. Okay. But why? So that I can get on your lap. Like this. Myra, what's the idea? Yes, this is indeed unusual behavior, even for an ingenue. I'm doing it so that he can spank me easier. 
Nora, it was I who ruined all your rehearsals. I put food near the theater to make the animals come in the barn. I did it to ruin your career. Oh, professional jealousy. And I greased the outside of your dressing room hoping that you'd break your leg. Oh, I've been awful. Because I studied your part and I wanted to play it and go to Hollywood and live in a mink-lined swimming pool. Now spank me, Nicky. It will be a pleasure. Ah, thank you. You don't have to enjoy it that much, Nick. Two minutes and the curtain goes up, Nori. The house is sold out. Good luck. Well, Nori, we all want you to go out there and show them people what you can do. Uh, the, there are people out there? Real, live people? Hundreds of them. Oh, oh Nick, catch me. I think I'm dying. Well, Nora, I'm encumbered. I got her. Oh, oh, thank you, Ed. Myra. Myra, thank heavens you told me you know my part. For heaven's sake, go out there and play it. What? My dear child, I am going to sacrifice my career for yours. Anyone who wants to live in a mink-blind swimming pool as much as you do, deserves to. Yippee! Give me your costumes, Nora. i got to change. I'll send you a free autograph from Hollywood. Oh! What happened, Myra? Did you break your little neck? No, I slipped on the grease I put there to break your leg. Nora, darling, I think this is wonderful of you. What made you do it? I'll tell you after the show. But uh, <clears throat> that's all part of our hideous past, the Colonel Biscay Rendango. <laughs> well, I can just imagine Nora telling Nick all about it after the show over a sparkling glass of Pabst Blue Ribbon, the beer that's blended from never less than 33 fine brews. There's nothing quite so refreshing on a hot summer night as a cold bottle of Pabst Blue Ribbon and a bowl of salty pretzels or a plate of crackers spread with some nippy cheddar cheese. You know, not only Nikki and Nora, but many stars of the radio, the stage, and movies enjoy Pabst Blue Ribbon beer in their homes. For instance, Gregory Peck, after a busy day on the studio set, likes to head for his icebox and a tall, foaming glass of Pabst Blue Ribbon. Wherever you go, from Hollywood to Honolulu, from Philadelphia to the Philippines, this famous beer is an international favorite. The beer that gives you 33 fine brews in every glass, every time. Taste it. Compare it. See why millions have settled down to blended, splendid Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. <laughs> And now for the conclusion of tonight's Thin Man Adventure. Myra was wonderful as Lady Chattelethorpe. Didn't you think so, Nicky? Mm-hmm. I'm glad she got that contract from Floyd Presney. She really played that part much better than I could have. Oh, no, I wouldn't say that, baby. You would have been great in it. You didn't think so this afternoon. I think so now, dear. Oh, yes, when it's safe. Well, Nora, I must confess, what worried me this afternoon was that you might have become a great star and you'd never have time to bother me or drive me crazy. You really mean that, Nicky? <laughs> yes, Nora. Well, that's why I gave up my career, darling. I think you're much sweeter than a mink-lined swimming pool. <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. And Nicky. Yes, dear. Oh! Nora, what's the matter? What's wrong? I just wanted to show you I could do that scream properly. Oh, <laughs> that's wonderful, Nora. The world lost another Helen Hayes in you. I know it, my dear. I know it. But it's no more than any wife can do. You mean 
every wife is a great actress? She has to be, darling. And no professional acting in front of an audience could even touch the performances the average wife puts on for her husband. You've got something there, dear. Uh, by the way, how do you like me tonight? Frankly, dear. Uh, frankly? Frankly, you're a great detective. Oh, yeah? Well, I'll have you know that Floyd Presnay was deeply touched by my interpretation of the role of Colonel Biscay Rendango. Touched where? In the head? He wants me to go to Hollywood. What are they looking for? A new Boris Karloff? <laughs> you don't seem to realize what a talented man you're married to. Oh, yes, I do, Nick. Uh, are you going to take the offer? No, baby. I'm giving up acting for the same reason you did. You're lovelier than sable underwear. Why, thank you, Nicky. You know, dear, I don't think Lunt and Fontaine can throw as beautiful baloney to each other as we do. <laughs> Here's your Oscar. Good night, Nicky, darling. <laughs> Be sure to listen next Tuesday night when Pamp's Blue Ribbon Beer brings you another happy, merry, thin man adventure starring Les Tremaine and Claudia Morgan. Next week, the adventure of the multiple marriage when Nick and Nora acquire a daughter and discover that it's easier to stay married than to marry someone else. The Adventures of the Thin Man is brought to you by the Pamp's Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Newark, New Jersey, and Peoria, Illinois. And this is Ed Hurley saying goodnight with the best wishes of Pamp's Blue Ribbon Dealers from coast to coast. Friends, every half hour, three people are stricken with tuberculosis. Yes, that's the deadly menace of TB, one victim every ten minutes, 50,000 victims each year. The lives lost through tuberculosis can be saved. The disease is curable. To stop contagion, those ill with TB must be found and treated. The sooner TB is detected, the quicker and easier the cure. Protect your health and your family's health. Have your chest x-rayed today. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. When your stomach's upset, don't add to the upset. Take soothing Pepto-Bismol and feel good again. There he goes, into that drugstore. He's stepping on the scale. Wait. 237 pounds. Fortune, danger. Who is it? The fat man. The Norwich Pharmacal Company. Makers of Pepto-Bismol, Unguentine, and other fine drug products brings you the adventures of Dashiell Hammett's fascinating and exciting character, The Fat Man, a fast-moving criminologist who tips the scales at 237 pounds. Tonight's adventure, starring J. Scott Smart in Murder Plays Hide and Seek. And now, from New York, Pepto-Bismol brings you The Fat Man. Thank you.
The housing shortage may be bad, but there's one place I know of that always has room for another tenant. It's a big gray structure near the river, and the windows are crossed with iron bars, and the landlord never asks you for a penny in rent. If you're an extra special customer, they even give you a private suite in a secluded part of the building that leads directly to a room with a heavy chair. That room is reserved for the guys who find out that they can't get away with murder. The fat man learned his business the hard way. But there's an easy way to care for an upset stomach. Just don't overdose with antacids or physics. Instead, take Pepto-Bismol, the gentle way to help settle and sweeten the stomach quickly. Pepto-Bismol calms and quiets the disturbance by spreading a soothing, protective coating on irritated stomach and intestinal walls. You begin to lose that queasy, uneasy feeling right away. The next time careless eating or overindulgence gives you acid stomach, nervous indigestion, or heartburn, you'll get quick relief if you remember this. When your stomach's upset, don't add to the upset. Take soothing Pepto-Bismol. And feel good again. Now, the fat man in Murder Plays Hide and Seek. Inasmuch as eating is one habit I find very hard to break, I usually prefer my clients to have enough cash to pay for my work. In Andy Moroni's case, however, I made an exception to the rule. I've known Andy for quite a while, and I can guess what he earns driving that hack of his around from dusk to dawn. With a wife and three kids, you can't afford any fancy fees for a private detective. It was almost three in the morning when Andy knocked on my apartment door. All right. All right, keep your shirt on. I'm coming. Uh, who is it? It's Andy Maroney, Mr. Runyon. The hacky. Well, what's on your mind, Andy? I, I didn't do it. I swear I didn't do it. You gotta help me, see? Now, take it easy, Andy. I thought he was drunk when she asked me to take him home. I had nothing to do with it, Mr. Runyon, so help me. Now, will you calm down long enough to make some sense? I, I'm talking about the stiff. The guy who was croaked. What guy? Where is he? Downstairs, in the back of my cab. For the love of Michael, you hurry. Well, you mind if I put some clothes on? I'll lose my license. I'll lose my job, and they'll put me in the cooler for 160 years. Here, hand me those shoes. You're a right guy, Mr. Runyon. Every hacky knows you're okay. You help me out of this, and I'll pay you back if it takes the rest of my life. Well, it's too long to wait. Put this one on the house. There we are. Now I'll get my coat and we'll be off. Okay, come on. I got the hack parked in the front of the door. As soon as I saw the guy was dead, I made a beeline for your flat. I figured I could explain it better to you than I could to the cops. You ever seen him before? No. He was sitting in the back of my cab when I came out of the green ring. I only left the car parked for about 20 minutes while I got some sinkers and some java. A blonde dame standing by the cab handed me five bucks to take him home, so I figured he was drunk. Here, out this way. There's a hack. He's flopped over in the rear seat. 
What is this, Andy? A coney gag? Holy smoke. This tip is gone. You must have been dreaming. Uh, he was there, I tell you. On the level. He was sitting there in the back five minutes ago. How do you know he was dead? Because I shook him. I felt his pulse. There was blood coming out of his mouth. Hey, wait a minute. What's this on the floor? It's his hat. That's the hat the guy was wearing. Yeah, his initials are on the sweatband. C.H. Where were you taking him, Andy? Did this blonde give you his address? Yeah, but it turned out to be a phony. That's when I found out he was dead. I thought he'd passed out, and I, I tried to shake him into giving me his right house number. Would you recognize the woman if you saw her again? In a minute. She was a tall job, easy on the eyes. She was standing on the sidewalk next to my hack, wearing an evening gown. You mean without a coat in this weather? Well, come to think of it, she didn't have a coat. Come on. Get into this jalopy and let's get started. Where are we going? Back to the corner where you met your customer. This is it, Mr. Runyon. Yeah. What's that joint over there? Nightclub? Yeah, the Venetian blind. It's a fancy dump that gets the ermine crowd. Well, if that blonde wasn't wearing a coat, she must have come out of there. Well, it's almost four o'clock. The joint must be closed. Well, we'll try it anyway. Yeah, it's closed up like I said. See anything through the glass in the door? There's a light on in the hall. Oh, wait a minute. A dame's coming out. Uh, no, it ain't the same one. Oh, good evening. I'm sorry. The club is closed for the night. You work in here, miss? Yes, I do. This isn't a pickup. I'm just looking for information. Did you happen to see a good-looking, tall, blonde woman? She was wearing a silver evening dress an hour ago. That sounds like Mrs. Rogers, the owner. Is she inside? Yes, I think so. What are you, a policeman? What gives you that impression? You act like one. My name is Runyon. I'm a private detective. I've got a little business with your boss. He's in her office, I imagine. Come inside and I'll show you where it is. Thanks. Is everybody else going home for the night? I guess so. I'm Peggy Dale. I sing with the orchestra. Hey, Peggy! Oh, I thought you'd gone, Frank. I was waiting for you, baby. I hope maybe I could take you home. Uh, who's this? He's a private detective. His name is Runyon. What's the matter? Something wrong? That all depends. Who are you? Frank Coley. I handle the drums in the band. What's up? We're looking for a stolen corpse. You what? Do you, you two happen to know anyone with the initial C.H.? Uh, not me. I know a woman named Hunt. Clarissa Hunt. This particular C.H. is a man. There she is, Mr. Runyon. It's Mrs. Rogers. What's going on here? Are you sure she's the woman who handed you the fiver, Andy? Positive, Mr. Runyon. You remember me, lady? No. I'm sure you remember. You asked me to take that drug home, and you gave me a fine spot to do it. I never saw you before in my life. It's a frame. She's lying, I tell you. Relax, Andy. Mrs. Rogers, you wouldn't be holding out on us by any chance, huh? I don't know what you're talking about. That drunk that Andy chauffeured for was dead. You wouldn't like to be mixed up in a murder rap, would you? No. 
Then how about a few details? I don't know anything about a drunk or a dead man. I never saw this moron before. Listen, you double-crossing hen. I ain't taking it to the neck for nobody. Pipe down, Andy. Mr. Runyon. What's the matter? Look, under that drape, near the window. There's a guy's feet sticking out. Stay where you are now, all three of you. What? It, it's Charlie Haney. And he's dead. Well, it looks like we found our body, Andy. Uh, well, wait a minute, Mr. Runyon. That ain't the same guy who was in my cab. Two hours later, I was in Lieutenant McKenzie's office at headquarters. The dawn was just about breaking, and I listened to Mac's autopsy report as I sipped a welcome container of steaming coffee. Charlie Haney was poisoned, Brad. Stuff was slipped into a drink. What about the blood on his mouth? Poison they used was dynamite. Brought on a hemorrhage. The guy in Andy's cab got his walking papers in the exact same way. I don't know. I'm inclined to think that Charlie Haney and the guy in Maroney's hack were one and the same. Why? Because the initials in the hat? That's one reason. And Maroney admitted the back of his cab was dark when he looked at his passenger. He's scared, Mac. He'll admit almost anything if he thought he'd save you a little trouble. Now, personally, I think we're dealing with two different killings, and both the victims have the same initials. Then what happened to corpse number one? Well, it's a cinch he didn't walk to a funeral partner to, to get himself registered. Well, I question the girl, the musician, and Mrs. Rogers. You any dope? Not that much. Charlie Haney was a jack-of-all-trades around the Venetian blind. Did odd jobs to Mrs. Rogers. Sometimes he'd throw out an obstreperous customer... A bouncer, huh? He was big enough. Yeah, I'd say he was. Well, in any case, I had nothing on him, so I let him loose. I might have held Mrs. Rogers on suspicion, but her battery of lawyers would have sprung her anyway. What about Andy Maroney? Well, he's in the clear so far. I'm letting him go back to his cab, but I'm padlocking the Venetian blind while the investigation goes on. If you don't mind my saying so, Mac, that isn't a very smart move. No? Why? I think you'd be better off to keep the club open and give the killer a chance to show up again. Uh, look, Brad, I'm going to ask you for a favor. Okay, sure. Lay off this case. Why? Well, first of all, your client's in the clear, so that's taken care of. And secondly? I won't buy your theory about two victims. And it's the kind of a thing that might confuse the investigation. Sensitive, Mac? Now, you know better than that. <laughs> I'm just saying that your guesswork is cockeyed. And I'm going to have enough trouble solving the murder of one victim without searching for an imaginary corpse. Hello? Yes, Mackenzie speaking. What? Oh. Yeah, I'll be right over. Here, Brad. Have a cigar. You look as if you're giving away a prize. I am. One of the motorcycle squad just picked up a dead man under the Queensboro Bridge. The initials on his wallet were C.H. I rode over to the Queensboro Bridge with Mackenzie and saw the body. It was identified by Andy as the guy he'd had in his cab. And a card in his wallet gave his name as Casper Hall. 
They took him back to the morgue for an autopsy, but I was pretty sure of what they'd find. So I drove back to my apartment to catch up with a few hours of sleep. It must have been 11 or 11.30 in the morning when I found myself with another guest. And this one was just as unexpected as the last. Yeah, just a second. One of these days, I'm liable to get myself some sleep. Good morning, Mr. Runyon. Well, good morning. Come in. Thanks. I... Sorry, the room's in such a mess. I wasn't expecting company. That's all right. You're the gal I saw last night, the gal that sings the Venetian blind. That's right, Peggy Dale. Uh, cigarette, Peggy? No, thank you. Where are you going? I want to look out the window. I had a feeling I was being followed. Anybody there? Street's empty. What's on your mind, sweetheart? Before I tell you anything... I want to be sure you won't tell anybody I told you. Oh, is it that hot? It might be. Okay, I'll play ball. Miss Heaven. They're holding Mrs. Rogers at headquarters now. Are they? Again? When they found the man named Casper Hall, they took that taxi driver's word against hers about putting him into the cab. Oh, yeah? I was there when they questioned Mrs. Rogers. They questioned me as well. She finally admitted putting Hall into the cab. And her excuse was that she thought he was a drunk and she wanted to get rid of him so he wouldn't raise a fuss. Well, that sounds logical to me. But one thing she didn't tell him. What's that? That she'd seen and talked to Casper Hall before. You knew that? He's been in the Venetian blind a dozen times. And I've seen him at the same table with Mrs. Rogers. Did you tell that to the lieutenant? No. Why not? Because Mrs. Rogers would have heard me. I'm scared of her, Mr. Runyon. She's hard and she's mean. It's not only my job. I didn't want to end up... The way poor Charlie did. Well, I can't blame you for that. She's been mixed up with gangsters and racketeers ever since she went into the nightclub business. I've seen some of them at the blind. So you decided to spill the beans to me, hmm? You can tell the lieutenant, but I don't want any part of it. Okay, Peggy. Thanks for calling. Oh, by the way, uh, is Mackenzie padlocking the club? No. He was going to, but he changed his mind. Will you be there tonight? I guess so. Why? I just wanted to ask you to save me a ringside table. The Venetian blind seems to have the most interesting floor show in town. I checked with the Kenzie and gave him the dope, but he couldn't hang on to Mrs. Rogers. He didn't have enough evidence to get an indictment yet. That meant Mrs. Rogers would be back in her club that night, and so would I. I got in touch with Andy Maroney, who showed up at my flat about ten, just as I was putting the finishing touches to the soup and fish. Sit down, Andy. Be with you in a minute. Hey, you look pretty slick in that outfit, Mr. Runyon. Well, you said the Venetian blind catered to the airman crowd, so I decided to get the dinner jacket out of mothballs. You know, I was just thinking. Yeah, what? My uncle. Yeah? What about your uncle? He was buried in an outfit like that. Stop being so cheerful. I intend to wear it vertically. Uh, you want me to drive you over? Yeah, that's why I called. There's something else I want you to do. Anything you say. When I go into that club, I want you to park outside and keep your eyes open. If I'm not out of there within two hours, get a hold of the police. I'm expecting trouble? I'm not expecting it, Andy. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> It had started to snow when we got down to the street. 
and the night was crisp and cold. If I hadn't been so busy admiring the weather, I might have noticed that Andy's hack, which was standing in front of the door, was occupied once again. Hello, Mr. Runyon. Oh, what are you doing here, Cooley? I want to talk to you. Okay, move over. Drive straight to the Venetian blind, Andy. Right. Don't drive to the blind. Let's go in the other direction. Say, who's giving the orders around here? I am. Hey, he's got a gun. Drive in the other direction, Andy, as the gentleman requests. I'd put that gun away, Frankie. Drums are safer to fool with. I'll put it away when I'm good and ready. Suit yourself. And I'll be ready when I put a slug in you. Been drinking? That's none of your business. Funny how a pint of booze makes a lion out of, of a mouse. I'll show you who's a mouse when we get out of town, fat man. Mr. Runyon. Keep driving, Andy. Yeah, yeah, keep on driving. Unless you want the top of your head opened up for ventilation. Before you start popping that cannon, I hope you'll explain why you picked me for a target. You know why. Oh, do I? You should have had sense enough to keep out of this. You wise and hymed yourself right onto a slab. Who are you covering for, Frankie? Yourself? Never mind the questions. Because up to now, it was Mrs. Rogers who held my interest. J- Mrs. Rogers? Yeah. If you're covering for her, you're just wasting your time. By tomorrow morning, we'll have enough on your boss to get an indictment. You're, uh, you're uh, pretty sure of yourself, aren't you? Well, I was, until you shoved that rod in my rib. Now I'm beginning to change my mind. Yeah, so am I. Really? Stop this cab, mister. There are lots of people in this section, Cooley. You're not going to risk any fireworks in a spot like this, are you? Keep driving and don't look back. Go on, beat it! Cheaper. For a minute, I thought he was going to knock the two of us off. And so did I. But instead, he gave me a brand new angle. There's a cop on the corner. Do you want to make a report? Ah, forget it. I may have a much more interesting report to make to the cops later on. It was almost 11 when we got to the Venetian blind. The place was pretty well crowded. The customers were dressed to kill, and most of the gals were flashing diamonds. Marsha Rogers' sucker list would have matched the social register. Instead of taking a table, I sat at the bar where the view was better. The floor show wasn't the only thing I wanted to see. Give me a rum and Coca-Cola. You can put it on the house, Pete. Thanks, but I like to buy my own. I had a feeling you'd be back here tonight, fat man. I would have been disappointed if you didn't show. You do a good business, don't you, Mrs. Rogers? Not bad. Found any corpses tonight? Now, don't start trying to be funny. You're liable to find you've outstayed your welcome. Still in your silver gown, huh? I thought you'd be wearing black. For whom? Casper Hall. Casper didn't mean anything to me. That's something you might have to prove. I was informed he spent a lot of time here. So do my other customers. Yeah, but they don't usually get picked up cold under the Queensboro Bridge. The cops haven't got anything on me. They don't even have enough to close up my club. That's where you're mistaken, Marcia. Then why didn't they shut me up? Because I asked them not to. You? Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm not getting philanthropic. 
Then what's the big idea? Well, maybe I like your entertainment. Oh, by the way, where's your regular drummer? Cooley? Yeah. He quit. Why? Don't ask me. When a musician wants to leave, I don't call the FBI and check up on him. I have a little surprise for you, sweetheart. Have you? I think I got this double murder partially solved. You're a very smart boy. When Casper Hall was poisoned, the killer didn't expect him to leave the club so soon. After he was helped out, Charlie Haney, or bouncer, was sent after his body. What did he want the body for, a souvenir? There must have been something Hall was carrying that the killer wanted. Charlie couldn't frisk him fast enough while he lay in the cab. So he snatched the body and ditched it under the bridge. Then who killed Charlie Haney? The one who killed Casper Hall. Charlie knew too much. He was just dumb enough to stick his neck out. Then why don't you make an arrest? Well, because I haven't put my hand on the murderer yet. How would you like to set yourself up for the candidate? You're crazy. You knew he was dying when you helped him into that cab. And don't hand me that drunk story. It doesn't gel. I thought you said Casper got out of here too fast. Would I have pushed him into a cab and then sent Charlie after him? No. That's why I'm crossing you off my list. But I still think you're holding out. And in case you don't know it, baby, an accomplice sits right on top of the killer's lap when they give him the chair. Why should I hold out? That's not the $64 question, sweetheart. The point is, why didn't you yell for the cops in the first place when you found Casper Hall five minutes from the grave? You want me to tell you why? Yes. Casper must have given you something when you put him in that cab. He gave you what the killer wanted and what Charlie Haney was sent out to get. Well, baby, how am I doing? You're doing fine. Come with me. She took me to her office without another word. And I had the feeling my bluff was paying off in spades. The theory was a good one, and it accounted for everything that happened. But I couldn't prove it in a hundred years if she'd wanted to call me on it. The office was dark when I opened the door, but I caught the sound of someone bumping into a chair as I stepped inside. Stand still, Mrs. Rogers. There's someone in this room, and I'm telling that someone now that I'll shoot to kill if I see anything move when the lights go on. Snap the switch, Mrs. Rogers. Peggy! I was just... She's trying to get at my safe. That's not true. What do you got in your safe that's so important, Mrs. Rogers? I'll show you in just a minute. (laughs) Now stand, stand right there, Peggy, like a nice little girl. Here. Here, this, this is what Casper Hall gave me the night he died. There's slips of paper in this envelope, written in longhand. In the last few months, six of my customers were robbed after they left my place. Their names are on those slips. They were all held up after, on their way home, and the police never found the gunman. There's more than just a name on each piece of paper. There's a description of a car, the license number, an address, and a list of jewelry. Casper Hall was tipped off whenever an important customer made a reservation. Those women used to come here loaded with jewelry. Someone must have gotten the information beforehand and then handed it to Casper outside on those strips of paper. Then all he had to do was follow the right car. Would you know who that someone is, Peggy? No. Oh, now, don't be coy, sweetheart. I had you tagged when your drummer boy, Frankie Cooley, wanted to take me for a ride. He was crazy enough about you to commit murder and keep you in the clear, Peggy. 
But he changed his mind when I told him I was after Mrs. Rogers. Give me that envelope. Oh, no, not so fast, baby. I'll need this myself for a while. We're going to do a little handwriting analysis. He crossed me. The rat held out. And he used those slips like a club over my head. That kind of an argument ought to make a big hit with a jury. Mrs. Rogers, why didn't you hand those slips over to the police? I only held those slips for one reason. If the thing leaked out before you grabbed the killer, I'd have been ruined. No one would have come here anymore. They'd all been scared to death. Didn't Casper tell you who gave him the slips? Casper couldn't talk when I helped him out and put him in that cab. All he could do was push that envelope in my hand. I was frightened, and, and I only wanted to get rid of them in a hurry. Uh-huh. Well, I've got to hand it to you, Peggy. You certainly must have what it takes. Drop dead, fat man. <laughs> Knowing you were going to kill Charlie Haney because he knew too much, you charmed him into frisking a corpse. Then you sicked Frank Cooley on me with a rod in his hand. But you're going to run into one guy who won't fall for the pretty dimple, sweetheart. The public executioner at Sing Sing. <laughs> Fat Man returns in a moment. It's a shame to let an upset stomach interfere with your work or your fun. And it needn't if you keep a bottle of Pepto-Bismol in your medicine chest. Pepto-Bismol helps you and your children to quick relief from sour stomach, acid indigestion, heartburn, and other common digestive upsets. This famous pink liquid helps settle and sweeten the stomach, calms and quiets that queasy, uneasy, sickish feeling. Get a bottle of Pepto-Bismol from your druggist tonight. Pepto-Bismol is a dependable product of the Norwich Pharmacal Company, also makers of Unguentine, the first thought in Burns. Next week, Pepto-Bismol presents Dashiell Hammett's exciting character, the fat man, in the adventure called Murder Finds a Decoy. And now, a word from the fat man. Ever since the beginning of time... The female of the species has been beguiling the male with her charms. And the male, since the beginning of time, has been falling into the trap quite willingly. But both male and female are most unwilling victims when murder finds a decoy. <laughs> Tonight's Adventure of the Fat Man, starring J. Scott Smart, was written by Lawrence Clee and directed by Clark Andrews. Music is under the direction of Bernard Green. Heard tonight were Helen Flint as Marcia and Joe Harding as Andy. Remember, when your stomach's upset, don't add to the upset. Take soothing Pepto-Bismol and feel good. Again. Charles Irving speaking. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That's Case Closed for this week. You can find more Thin Man, Fat Man, Case Closed, and everything else Relic Radio at the website relicradio.com. We've got thousands of old time radio episodes available to listen to there, and our shoutcast stream with even more old time radio. 
If you'd like to help support Case Closed and all of Relic Radio, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Your support makes it all happen. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. We'll be back next Wednesday with Philo Vance and Philip Marlowe on another hour of Case Closed. Thank you.